Welcome to the Mortgages, Money and More podcast. I'm Craig Skelton, Principal of CS Mortgage Solutions and CS Retirement Solutions. And today we're talking about the options you have if you want to buy your new home before you sell your existing one. And my guest is our very own mortgage advisor in Blackpool, Matt Taylor. Welcome back to the podcast, Matt. Thanks very much, Craig. Second time lucky, so looking forward to having a chat to you about the this scenario. Good, good, good. Yeah, I'm looking to I'm looking forward to getting into the the details. So, uh, sec- what was the first podcast? It must be a little while ago that you came onto the podcast the first time. Yeah, I think it was probably back in November. We were talking about buy to let mortgages. Yes, we were. Yes, we were. So, wow, yeah, you got away with that then for a few months. Absolutely. Back with a vengeance and about a slightly more complicated topic in terms of buying before you're selling. But the reason why Matt and I are sort of talking about this today is that one of the top searches on Google and one of the most common inquiries we get right now is my house on the market, but we've seen this house that we really love and we need to buy it get the offer in, offer accepted, get off the market before we sell ours. That's the idea why Matt's here today. We're just going to explore, just talk about the main options. And there's really, there's three main options that we tend to find with this. And let's say the, the three main options people have when they find themselves in this situation. What are those three normal topics or normal solutions, Matt? Yeah, so it's a let-to-buy or buy-to-let mortgage, Yep. which follows on quite nicely from the buy-to-let sort of topic of we did back in November as well. Yeah, so it goes quite nice. And then the second one is buying a second property as well while still keeping your existing property. So that's the second one. And then what's the, the other topic we're going to talk about? And the last topic is just talking about bridging loans, so the options and viability and sort of the, the strategy around how it can work for you by having a bridging loan in place. Fantastic. Brilliant. You're absolutely right. The, the first bit we talk about is let to buy, which does follow on. Planned it nicely to follow on from your first podcast topic, which was buy to let. So let to buy. The, the difference is obviously the words in a different order, but do you want to just explain what a let-to-buy mortgage is? Yeah, it's just really your residential mortgage. You're looking to convert that into a buy-to-let mortgage. Very sort of simple wording, simple process. It's very similar in a way to just a complaining a, a normal remortgaging your property, but it's doing it on a, a buy-to-let sort of mortgage terms compared to a residential mortgage term. Okay, and is that in terms of... So people keep their existing property, their existing residential home, they keep that, put tenants in that then now, Matt? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So people might not want to sell their existing property because they, they might they might want to keep that as an investment opportunity late, later on. So if they put add a buy-to-let mortgage to start with, then yeah, they would just get a tenant in, in that property and they would pay the sort of set sort of rental agreement that you've got that agreed with on the buy to let terms what normally happens is a valuer would go out and value the property and work out the sort of rental calculations on what, what would need to be, be covered to make it a viable sort of buy to let mortgage okay and in terms of one of the things is people getting which i know i had in the past when i started talking about let to buy as an option for clients was people getting their head around the fact that they're keeping their existing residential property obviously it's not going to be their residential property anymore and a tenant and somebody else is going to live in that home that property and treat it as their home i know i had some of my customers just could not get their head around that and sort of 
it's just one of that clear detachment. So I don't know whether you've had any sort of similar sort of experiences with something like that, Matt. Yeah, certainly. It follows on a little bit with the sort of what we're going to talk about with the second property. I, I had a client recently and they have a one bedroom flat and they were looking to move into their dream house, which they actually found and they didn't want to lose that dream house. So for them, what they've gone through is they, they went through the process of putting the offer on, on the property, what they wanted to buy. And they're at the stage now whether they still may sell that flat, but what they're also doing is maybe forgetting things in place for the buy-to-let mortgage. So they're in a fantastic position where they've got savings uh, and they've got money for deposits. So what they would do is if they don't get the sale on, on this flat, then they there's enough equity in that property for them to be able to convert that into a buy-to-let property and then maybe review whether they want to keep that property in the longer term or maybe sell it in the longer term. Uh, it's completely probably down to them and what their sort of views are. I think that's it. You're absolutely right because it just gives them a bit of time to think what they want to do about that, their existing home, then into rather than panic selling and maybe taking a less offer than the, what they want on it and things like that. At least then if you're just changing it to a let to buy or a buy to mortgage because fundamentally they're exactly the same. It just then sort of takes the strain off the, it breaks the chain first of all, which is a big thing from a, especially given people's current time restraints with regards to stamp duty. And we're going to talk about we can't talk about stamp duty because when we record this, it's like a week before the government have got a meeting today about stamp duty. So we don't want to, we're not going to really talk about that because we will shoot ourselves in the foot, no doubt. Yeah, definitely. But, but yeah, it just buys people time to then not panic sell, gives them the option to keep their existing home. What about deposits then, Matt? So if I've got this particular home or flat or whatever it is and there's no mortgage on it or a little mortgage on it or there is a mortgage on it what normally how much can i normally take out what's the normal percentage wise of the loan to value and, and deposit yeah so most sort of lenders probably require 25 to 30 percent amount of equity in that property so if you've if you've got a small mortgage and you may want help to use some of that equity to be able to put down on the new property, you can release that and help you fund your new sort of ongoing property purchase. In the scenario which I had, they didn't need to release any equity. They just really needed to take it off the residential mortgage and just try and put it onto a buy-to-let. So it's out of the, the, the lending scenario. For them to be able to take it out in the lending scenario on their ongoing purchase, it just meant that they could actually go for a property which was 90% loan to value. Right, okay. Because they were able to re release a little bit more out of their existing home to put deposit down. Yes, yeah. And in terms of, do people normally, when if you've got a, an existing residential mortgage and then you are transferring on to a let to buy or buy to let, do people normally keep those as capital and repayment mortgages or do they normally change the buy to let or the let to buy mortgage to interest only what's the normal option people go down i think because of, there's various things happening and they've got the property the new purchase which may be an increasing in outgoings and a, a larger mortgage quite often a lot of people will switch their existing mortgage onto an interest only mortgage just say reduces sort of outgoings with two different mortgages in place until they get a tenant in for the property. But it's all really down to each individual's person and their attitude to risk and what attitude to risk they want in repaying their mortgage as a remortgage vehicle, whether they want it on a repayment or on an interest-only basis. So just so I've got it clear in the process of my mind, I find a house, change my existing, I put an offer, sorry, I 
find a new, my new home, putting offering got accepted. I don't want to sell my own, change it to elect to buy, to let mortgage. I can change that to interest only if it suits me or repayment. I normally have to keep 25 to 30% of equity in that property so if i've got say my existing home is and my mortgage is 90 percent on the existing home then let to buy is not an option is it because you're not going to be able to change that to a let to buy mortgage or buy to let because the loan to value doesn't stack up from that point of view yeah completely you need to have some sort of equity within that property if you're cash rich or you've maybe receiving an inheritance or savings from a family member you may be able to pay a lump sum off that mortgage and then switch it into a buy-to-let mortgage. But if it was just initially on a 90% loan-to-value, then no, there's not enough equity, and you wouldn't be able to do that. Okay, so if I've got equity, change that to buy, I'm understanding the process with that, I understand what the deposit is, change to interest only or repayment, if it depends what fits with me. I then break the chain, so there's no lower part of the chain. I'm the start of the chain when I'm buying my new home. So that makes life a little bit easier, I'm guessing, from that point of view. Definitely, without a doubt, because it's so common that property chains fall through. I think a recent stat was about three out of every 10 properties tend to fall through or or something happens in the chains. So if you can take away some of that risk of of the sale of property, then fantastic. You're taking some risk away and it just means that it's allowing you to then go on with an ongoing purchase and and your dream home. Definitely. I think the other thing as well with that is that you're not going to, if you're panic selling, you're going to take a lot lower offer than what you probably might want to take or you were expecting to take so again that takes that pressure away from that point of view as well of having a panic sell situation and losing five ten percent of what you what you feel your existing home is worth yeah definitely without a doubt you can wait and if you you think the market's going to keep on rising and keep on increasing then if you switch on a buy to let mortgage then hopefully you'll get the growth in, in property prices as well excellent fantastic so that's anything else on let to buy no i think that's probably about everything Brilliant. Okay, fine. So one option is let to buy. We've gone through the process. The next option we said we'll talk about is second home. So what's the difference? What do we mean by second homes? And Yeah, so second home mortgages, you can quite often keep your existing mortgage property and buy a, a second property to live in as your main residence. Some people, for instance, may want to do this because they've got family members living or working or being a student in a a different part of the country a job might take them to another part of the country it's really flexible in a way of how it can work for you and your circumstances okay i'm guessing with the lenders then did they take into account from affordability point of view you run in two homes is that how they would work that out that's correct so what most mortgage lenders would tend to do is take that mortgage payment as a for instance say if you've got a, a 250 pounds a month i wish uh, mortgage payment then that will just go in the mortgage calculator as a, a deduction okay and then there are some other things what some lenders do the in the background because the second property then they might tweak the lending multipliers a little bit as well to base into account that there may be uh, you may be paying council tax twice and, and utilities and, and other things as well Okay, and like you said, they're going to take, I'm guessing, utilities, council tax, all those sort of things. You've got two lots of those sort of going on. We're clear with second homes, but that's not, we'd let to buy, buy to let. You've got, you keep the, you keep that, but it's a buy to let mortgage. 
it's not a residential you've got a tenant in there renting it out whereas with second home you don't there's, you've got two homes going on so it's not as though you put a tenant in there you need to rent it out you can just as long as you could afford both homes you can afford both homes and keep both homes and again it just gives you a bit of time i'm guessing again if you can afford both homes you could eventually sell your, your first one in a less panic situation and then move wholeheartedly into the new one or flip between the two if you're sort of lucky enough that's i'm guessing another option yeah definitely without a doubt it's quite a regular occurrence uh, a lot of my sort of clients go down this option i have had another sort of scenario which i've had a client recently as well where they've got their property on the market they've got a, a small mortgage on that property they've had an offer agreed on on the new property and the lender in which I've been dealing with, they've not taken that mortgage into account for lending purposes because the, the client's going to repay that the mortgage just before sort of completion. So it's not going to go into any sort of lending calculators or lending affordability scenarios. And the, the client's in that fortunate position where he can pay the, the mortgage off, but he still has the two properties outstanding. And he's not doesn't have to rush to sell at a lower cost or, or lower premium. Yeah, exactly. It just puts you in a bit of a better situation and a mindset from that point of view that you're just in control a little bit more than what you would be if you were looking to sell it. Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. There's some sort of scenarios with the second property as well, which you might have a family member, your son or daughter, and might be going to university, and you're still buying, you're still keeping your own residential home, but you might want to actually buy a property for them to live in while they're at university. And quite a lot of lenders will allow that and count that as a sort of second property as well. Excellent. Anything else on second homes? The only thing to probably sort of consider is on the second homes is the long to values. If you've got two, if you've got an existing mortgage outstanding and you're looking to take on a, a new mortgage, then quite often lenders, most lenders tend to cap it either at 75 or 80% on the new property. So that just means you, you need to put down a little bit more of a deposit. There are one or two lenders out there which will do it at 85%. So again, you just maybe need a 15% deposit to, to put down. Excellent. Anything else on second homes? No, I think that's all. Done. Brilliant. And the last one you said we're going to talk about is bridging. And I think that's sort of one of the most common things, questions we get asked. It's just because people's natural instinct is, I need a bridging loan. I need to do bridging because of, it's just people's understanding around the whole buying before you sell. So we've put this last, this, this option last and talking about this last because it probably is the last option for clients because it's pretty expensive to do. Is it that fair to say, Matt? Definitely. Yeah, the interest rates which are charged are definitely certainly a lot higher than it would be on a normal sort of residential mortgage or a buy-to-let mortgage, definitely. Okay, so bridging is an option. It just tends to be the last resort. We're not going to talk about rates or anything like that today because it's very difficult, again, to give rates as it is with any borrowing. But in terms of bridging, what is the process with bridging or how does bridging work compared to the, the the options we've talked about? In the first two options, with, with like a buy-to-let or your second property, you, you tend to get them on a, a sort of a standard mortgage property, most, sorry, standard mortgage product. So you, you, you may go for, say, a, a two-year or five-year fixed rate or a discount. And that's what we have a discussion with our clients with. When it comes to bridging, bridging is very different. You've normally, it's a maximum 12-month loan. And it's all about how you can re, repay the, the, the bridging loan at the end of that sort of maximum of 12-month period. 12 months is standard for a, a residential, and that's on a, a, a regulated sort of bridging loan, a non 
regulated bridging loan, it can actually carry on for up to 24 months, but it does get a bit more complex. Yeah, because I think we tend to find that most of the stuff we see and talk about is 12 months. Yeah, definitely. And I think people, because that's the thing, you've got, again, it sort of limits your options by bridging because you have to sell within those 12 months. And that might sound, well, quite simple of, yeah, I'll sell, that's not a problem, that's not a problem. However, that's not always the case. And the last thing that you need to be in that situation where it gets to 12 months and you're in a race then to sell your home to pay off the bridging, which is also already very expensive and obviously the interest is just added and compounded on there and and just increasing the amount that you owe whether you're paying the interest or actually adding it to the loan it's just a massive burden and strain on when selling your home yeah absolutely i can see why people go down the bridging route because quite often it's not assessed by income as maybe a standard buy to let or a second property purchase. So there are different options on people why they would sort of go down that route. And I suppose for certain lending scenarios as well, the bridging might be that they can get the monies in place and then have that exit plan and do work to the property and get it up into a estate where it's going to sell for a higher rate to be able to pay that bridging back and then potentially remortgage to a different lender. Okay, so that that's, could be something if you were thinking about buying something in a quite a, in a situation which needs a lot of work and stuff like that with regards to buying a new place and then looking to, to buy it quickly, short-term finance. Like you said, not assessing. Your income don't get assessed. You, the, it's actual the security is the home, the house, I'm guessing. That's the property that's the security, not the income. It, so. it is, yeah. It's very much about the, the security on a property, the, the loan to value and the bridging lenders just really look at what it's going to be valued at now and what the what it's going to be valued at when it's going to be repaid. Because again, they want their funds to be repaid and that's how they tend to make their money with offering the bridging loans. Fine. In terms of pretty similar loan to values, deposits, 25, 30% with bridging loans as well. So you can't get, you struggle to get high 90, 95% lending on bridging situation. So you're into the, the normal buy to let, let to buy market from a loan to value point of view. Without a doubt, you've got to have that sort of equity because again, it's a, it's a risk for the sort of bridging loan companies. It wouldn't work if you've only got a smaller deposit or a smaller amount of equity in, in, in that property. Okay. And in terms of the rates, I know we're not going to talk about rates. We can talk about fees are pretty much normally pretty standard because you normally have an arrangement fee and then a final fee. So and they normally they're sort of like the arrangement fee is like normally 1% to 2%. Is that about right, Matt? Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah it, it tends to be the, the value of the loan and the, the sort of, yeah, the 1.5%, 2%. So if you're looking at a large sort of mortgage, the fees could end up being very costly. Absolutely, especially because it is short term as well. So you might only have the loan for a couple of months and you've paid, a, if you're looking at £100,000 mortgages as an average, £100,000, 1.5%, you're looking at £1,500, £2,000 in an arrangement fee. You can have exactly the same fee on the final fee as well. So you could be looking at three, four grand in fees and you might only need the money for a month or two. So then that's why it doesn't really give you it doesn't give you good fees or sort of, it's quite an expensive sort of way of, yeah, definitely. without the interest rate and what you pay daily like I said we're not going to talk about rates but it's da- normally daily fee as well isn't it with regards to bridging it normally is that's how it's calculated on, on a sort of daily rate and that with, as I think you touched on as well with, with bridging quite often you normally don't pay 
a monthly payment, it, it tends to get rolled up, compounded in, into a payment at the end when the property is sold or, or there's been a remortgage in place to be able to repay that loan back. And that's when it can start becoming very expensive. Right, okay. So that bridging is an option. It is does give the the customers a bit of degree of flexibility it gives them like the speed and things like that however as always you pay for flexibility and you pay for speed so it's not the most cost effective way of doing this is it no without a doubt no um, and some of the buy to let to buy scenarios and the second property scenarios are so much better rather than the, the bridging loan scenario as what you mentioned before it, it just really what you need to do is just have that conversation with somebody like myself or somebody else in our team and we can talk you through exactly what needs to be done at what stage, what fees are going to be involved, what the amount of equity is needed in the buy to let, the amount of equity needed in, in the second property purchase. We'll talk you through every step along the way. So in terms, so that covers, bridging's covered let to buy, we've covered second home and we've covered bridging. We've looked at the sort of different options. We've looked at the different processes, ease, speed, cost, all those sort of different things. Anything else to add in terms of buying before you're selling? Not really. I've just, as, as I've sort of touched on before, speak to one of us guys or girls, just because we, we, we come across all these sort of complex scenarios, which people think, can we do that? Can't we do that? But until you've come across a scenario, we do it quite regularly. I'd probably say then that's the advice part of what, what we do day in, day out. And we come across these scenarios all the time, especially with myself. I, I work with various different sort of local estate agents. And we, these are the sort of questions which get thrown at us. So yeah, just I can't stress enough really. Just contact us and we can try and make it as, as easy and as helpful as we can for you. I think that's it. It's just it's getting the right advice at the right time. This it is a stressful time. If you're looking at buying before you sell, it can be a panic sort of situation you're in. It's just about getting the right advice, speaking to the people that do this day in day out, understanding the process, puts you in safe hands, gives you peace of mind that the right the path you're going down is right. And the only way to do that is then speak to an advisor who is used to doing this day in day out. Fantastic. Matt, it was less painful than before or more painful they were talking about this than buy to lets? I'm not sort of sure. Definitely less painful because I definitely probably a little bit more relaxed than the first one. But quite a topic which is probably, it's discussed a lot, but it's not an easy topic sometimes to get your head around and understand. No, definitely not. I totally agree with you. I think that's the thing with it is because it is a big search thing on Google. It's a question we get asked all the time. You said about the agency you work with and we work within a firm that the, the clients are looking to get that sale before they've sold theirs. So it is something that comes up time and time again. I think the thing is clear is that for the right people, again, there are options available for them. It's not for everybody and it's not the right option for, for everybody, but it's the option. It's, there are options there for the right people. And let's say just talking to you about it. So fantastic. Matt, thank you so much for your time taking yourself away from, I'm going to say Sunny Blackpool because hopefully when the dates release it, this podcast goes out and it is Sunday. Thanks ever so much for your time. Uh, thank you to everyone who has subscribed and listened so far. And uh, next time, my guest is ho- the owner of Hunter Sunderland, which is Chris Kelly. And we're just going to talk about his views on the housing market, both in Sunderland and nationwide as well. Thank you for listening. <laughs>